Kia ora and thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Coach's Corner podcast. We're joined today with Mike Cron. There's not much Mike hasn't achieved in his coaching career. Um, his knowledge is a deep well um, of from what he what he knows and, and it's likely to be unmatched to some of the coaches out there. And what I'm really excited to chat um, to Mike about today is just around where he's found his knowledge um, and some of the some of the places that he's gone to um, and why it's so important. So welcome in, Mike. How are you? Very good. Thanks very much. No worries. Well, first of all, um, this is a cool part. Just wanted to kind of get you to share your story. So how did how did you go from making Quinton's pies um, to becoming kind of one of our most celebrated coaches in, in Canterbury and New Zealand? Well, I've done 23 years in the police and um, uh, that allowed me to get out quite a bit, um, you know, with annual leave and organising yourself. So I started doing a lot of coaching when I was playing. And then when I uh, finished playing, I went straight into coaching St Andrews through 15, about 1983, I think it was. Yeah. And coached ever since. And um, so that was great. And then I've, um, I did a lot of um, youth coaching, under-19s, under-21s, club and Canterbury. Um, and then I knew one thing, uh, I didn't have enough knowledge. And uh, the previous coaches I'd had, um, a lot of them I don't think uh, installed too much knowledge in me uh, to pass on to others. So I started to go out and venture out into other sports, so I ended up sitting for a week in sumo wrestling camp in Japan watching them. I went into a, a famous uh, judoist. Uh, he's regarded as the top judo person in the world. and uh, went into coaching, so I went and spent some time with him. Uh, I went over to America, New York Giants, New York Knicks, New York Yankees, Pittsburgh Penguins ice hockey. I went down to Tampa to watch a trainer get players ready to, to attend the combine. I uh, went to Melbourne Storm League, um, went to Royal New Zealand Ballet, went to cage fighting on the Gold Coast. Uh, <laughs> it, it goes on, actually. Yeah. Um, I went to netball, um, tactics, went to Canary Basketball. What is it about all these, about, like you talked about how you had a, the coaches that you had previously didn't instill that knowledge in you. Where did that appetite for you to go searching for it come from? Well, I went coaching to help players be the best they can be and develop. Yeah. Now, if that's if that was my driver, I didn't have enough knowledge to do it. Yeah. Is that, is that your coaching philosophy then? I wasn't good enough. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have enough knowledge to pass on, I don't think. Um, so I had this thirst, still have, this real thirst for knowledge to find out uh, how I can get my athlete uh, to be better than the guy down the road. Yeah. And we're not always the biggest and strongest. Uh, so the big thing is I want them to understand how to use their body better. So I liken it to a little girl, say a 12-year-old girl that's been a gymnast all her life. She knows exactly where her body is when she does her flips. Yeah. Most of the rugby guys we coach don't. <laughs> they don't know how to use their body. Yeah. So how do we help them use their body to the most efficient and, and to the best it can be? And you can make an average footballer um, 
once they understand how to use their body and you coach them correctly, you can you can turn them into a pretty good footballer. Yeah. I can I can remember back must have been a number of years ago. I'm probably going to say maybe eight years ago or something like that. Uh, at the back of Rugby Park here on Melvin Park, mm-hmm. I saw you doing a scrum session one time. I think the anchor harnesses were just coming out and, and bits and pieces. But you were talking around um, with the props around how the shoulder joint actually works and how it moves and how it slides. And mm-hmm. so you can mm-hmm. you can actually get a little bit more pressure by pushing your shoulder forward. And where did you get that type of awareness from? And also, how did you then go? I can use that knowledge that I've just learned because I think maybe you, you picked it up from boxing potentially and then apply it into scrum work. Mm. So when you go and the biggest fault coaches make when they go to look at other sports is they write down what they want to learn. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. Here's, I've just also just picked up my pen. Just <laughs> <laughs> go, go in with a blank canvas. Now, for instance, the sumo wrestling thing was jacked up for me, and I'd walk down from the little motel and I'd just observe from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. every day. I was lucky enough I was allowed to film, and on the last day, finally, the the, um, the guy that runs it who speaks English turned up, otherwise I was just sitting there, yeah. and he's right, give me your questions. So I, I had all my questions. I got the answers. And I flew home, and I thought, well, there's not one thing that I've learned that I can convert to help rugby, help my players. But there's got to be. Yeah. It, it took me probably three months to work out. Uh, so going back over the footage, I worked out that the last thing they do when they're about to explode in their takeoff is with their toes, they, they squeeze them and hold the ground and then release. That's how they get their power. Yeah. how they get the explosiveness. So from then I came back and started coaching our boys to hold the ground better with their toes like a parrot in a birdcage. Yeah. And they gave us more stability. So that was all from just observing, didn't know what the hell I was observing, know there is something there, and eventually it will come out. Yeah. And so who, was it someone that pushed you to go, like you said, somebody just jacked it up for you to go observe the sumo? Like was that, or was that something that you were kind of curious about already? I was curious to, to, to look at anything where it's people using their body, staying balanced with movement. Yeah. Martial arts is great for that. All martial arts are great for staying centred with movement. A lot of our rugby guys, you'll see it on defence, they run on up, and as soon as the attacker does a wee shimmy, we plant and we lunge. Yeah. But we don't have the ability to stay centred with movement. Martial arts do. So I wanted to go and learn how they do it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so consequently, well, even last week, I was doing a Zoom with a retired quarterback from um, America. Yeah. Working out how we can help our hookers with our throwing action. Um, what do you do in America as quarterbacks uh, for analysing your action? Because there's something there we can pick up and convert for our office in New Zealand. So things like that. Yeah. And so when you apply some of that stuff and you talked around how you did some P- some PD stuff with the Royal New Zealand Ballet, mm. how do you then tell your players, oh, we're going to do some stuff that I learned from the ballet? Yeah, good. <laughs> I, I actually showed them two 
um, like two minute long um, video clips of two different ballet coaches teaching their athlete how to lift. Yeah. And one was really prevalent to single back lift or kick off the seat. And one was really prevalent for a line out lift. And there was stuff there that was really relevant. So I showed the All Blacks that stuff. Yeah. And so well, here's the key points that we take out of that, you know, so um, make sure we keep training the, you know, that, that rotating your arm and things you, you know, get more strength through the elbow joints and all stuff like that. Yeah. You know, again, how to use your body better than the guy down the road. And what about on the other side? Because I can, as soon as you talk about this, you're going to get more strength by making sure that you're going to be, you're twisting your wrists and twisting your arms. The boys are going to be like completely, they're like, all right, sweet, I'm brought in there. But on the flip side of things, a rugby coach going into the world of ballet, how, like, how were you received then when you were coming in to watch that? Because they probably. Well, it was good. Um, the, 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 the artistic director back then was Italian. Yeah. And they were doing Riccardo. And they were, so I went out for lunch with him for an hour and a half and I took along with me. Dale Stevenson, who is the shot put coach um, uh, for New Zealand. You know, he's a, he's a throwing coach. He's an ex-prop, played yep. for Melbourne Rebels in his day. Uh, Dave Hewitt, who was the Crusader Ford coach. Ozzy McLean. Dust bloody Muppets turned up <laughs> and uh, asked all their questions. Then we w- went to uh, Lady Isaac's Theatre and watched them train for about two hours. And then we were brought up on stage to ask any questions. Yeah. And there was the lead guy was a Kiwi and the lead lady was a Japanese lady. So I asked her, the, uh, the key uh, male, you do a lot of lifting, single lifting, and you make it look bloody easy. What have you learned in your ballet career that allows you to do that? Because I'm trying to teach our line out guys to single lift. And, and uh, so he gave me a couple of bits of yeah. gold, gold out of that. And, um, so that's how you how you learn because he's just he's just lifting someone above the head, and I wanted to find out what he learned in his career and what I can take out of that and take back to my boys to to offer them um, some information. So have you learnt more from other disciplines and other arenas, or then from other rugby coaches? Uh, uh, I wouldn't say from other rugby coaches. I've learned a hell of a lot from some great coaches. Uh, but I think as far as how you use your body, you know, um, learning that type of thing, yeah. certainly I've learned it from other sports. Peripheral vision from netball, I learned that from Marianne Delaney at the Tactics, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, the, these other sports deal in that. Um, and we just sort of, Touch, touch and weave it in, in rugby, whereas it's a really important part of the game. So I've learned a hell of a lot of other sports, more so than attending a rugby course, so yeah. to speak. And so would you probably, what would be some suggestions for for our coaches listening in? Where sh- could they go, where should they go if they've got something in their head that they're curious about or that they're toggling with to get a better understanding if they can't find it already in rugby? Go any team that turns up of any sport, whether it be cricket or basketball or whatever, 
and you have an opportunity to watch them train, you know, go and sit and watch. Yeah. So I would say, and just watch what they do. You'll pick up something. You've got an open mind. You'll certainly pick up something. I've picked up some cricket skills about uh, slip catching. You know, I've used high hand coordination rugby. You know, just going to watch them train. Yeah. So if you can get into watch a top team train, do so. Yeah. And there, would that not lie? Like a little bit of, like we get them here at Rugby Park. Like coaches will come in, they'll see what the Crusaders are doing, and yep. they'll try and take it back to how I've seen this fantastic thing that they did at the Crusaders. But then the caliber of player are completely different, and they haven't done the the players haven't done the work. How would they then condense it down their expertise down to their environment and what okay. where they're coaching? Where a lot of coaches fall into a trap is they turn up and they want to see a new drill. They can take a new draw back to their team. Now that, to me, is fraught with danger. Um, what you need to do, if you do see a new draw, then dissect the drill down into the skill of the drill, and then go right. How am I going to teach my players the skill of that drill? Because that's more important than just doing the drill. Yeah, and that's where the top coaches. Our top coaches, because they drill down deep and teach the little parts of that that drill for the skill part, and that's what you need to do is look at something and then dissect it. You go right. What is the skill required to do this? Or skills? How am I going to coach that? And how far would you go down? So if we if we go back to that backlifter stuff, mm. how how far back or how stripped down did you have to make that backlift? Or to these, to the players, or to the All Blacks that you're coaching, to get them to understand. Well, I think you, if you look at biomechanics, I was lucky enough to work with a couple of good biomechanics guys, and I'd always be asking questions. E.g., what's the fastest way for a human being to jump off the ground? Now, to me, that's a pretty important part to understand line lifting. Yeah, but probably not many people have ever asked that question. Defies logic. I should have asked it a long time ago. Yeah. And it's, it's part of the bloody thing. Yeah. So once you understand, oh, that's interesting. So biomechanically, that's the fastest way for a human being to jump. Okay. How do I then make sure that my players are jumping as fast as they can? How can I measure that? So I got in a force plate, vertical force plate at the All Blacks, and I got one in last year at the Black Fans. So the girls during their last year during their weights program, you come along and all the jumpers do testing on the force plate. So I can tell, or they can tell, uh, just how quick they are to get on, how quick they are to jump off, and the height they're jumping. Yeah. That's great feedback. So we made huge improvements through that. Now, a lot of that, all that stuff started from just finding out the fastest way for a human being to jump off to the ground. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I was lucky enough, every year I'd come up with some brand new bloody questions and Gilbert and Noka's brother, Roger, he is at Colorado University. And if you go and do biomechanics at Polytech tomorrow, it'll be the Roger and Noka book you've got to learn. <laughs> yeah. So he is a guru. So every year I'd come up with my half a dozen or a dozen brain-dead questions and send it over to him, and he with his students would dissect that question, and then I'd do a Zoom with him, Yeah. and we would come up like, 
I'd say I find that when I get, say, a loose head prop to bind and then rotate his wrist inwards, so his thumb's going into the ribs, yeah. he seems stronger through the elbow joint. And he came back and he said, of course he is. <laughs> because when you rotate your arm one way or the other, you get double the strength through the elbow joint. And I go, oh, shit. <laughs> and my gut feeling is now being supported by science. Yeah. And so I kind of want to go back a few few steps, like when you mentioned that you're a police officer and, mm-hmm. and asking questions. Is this where your curiosity has come from through your work as a police officer to ask questions first before coming up with judgments or? Yeah, looking back, it certainly helped me with my coaching. Yeah. Um, In what sense? Well, you learn to prioritise, problem solve. You learn to deal with all types of people, all walks of life. Um, You can handle pressure. Um, I think you you can roll with the punches because you're used to it. So there's a lot of policemen who've been good coaches. Yeah. And I think probably firemen or whatever, you know, ambulance drivers and all this, you know, we're, we're probably all bundled into that one thing that we are part of your 23 years, you've dealt with a fair bit of shit. Yeah. And you've learned a bit on the way. And half the time, you don't know what you've learned until you come out of there and go and do another task, e.g., coaching. And you go, oh, of course, that's simple. You go there, bang, that's the one we've got to do. Yeah. Well, some people don't see it that simple when they start um, identifying uh, the minor things rather than, you know, the important many rather than the critical few. Yeah. So it certainly did help me. And I did 20 years as a detective, which was, again, a a huge step up from uniform. And that really helped me. And my boss sent me on a two-week course to be a lecturer. Yeah. And I said, I'm a detective. I don't bloody live And he said, I'll help you with your coaching. And it did. It was really good about how to set up your room when you're doing a presentation. Yeah. How to, how to your body language, they'd film you and critique you. And that really helped me. Yeah. So I, I've told lots of um, young coaches who are looking to really make it a career, you know, when you get a chance to go along to like a broadcasting course, they run them for a day or two days. Yeah. Go on. You know, sign up, go in, pay for your bob, and get, and get taught to be a presenter on TV or whatever it may be. Yeah. Because it will really help you when you're presenting to your players. Have you, is there something about you that leads you to problem solving, like that around that, dete- like you said you're a detective, and then now you're trying to solve problems and so then you ask those questions, and so then you go looking in the most unlikeliest of places. Like, is that just? Yeah. Yeah, I think curiosity. Yeah. And I killed the cat. But, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I'm curious. And, yeah. And I, I see something uh, like any any player I coach, any team I coach, I show them a photograph of cyclists at the bottom of the Pyrenees about to climb during the Tour de France in 1990. Yeah. And they all put the fag in their goal. I think I know the photo. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, well, why would they do that? And the answer is because some so-called expert told them at that time, by having a fag before you climb, don't your lungs up, helps you climb better. 
Now, we know that shit. Yeah. At that time, that those athletes science. obeyed that command. So any athlete I coach, any player, I say, if I ask you to do something and you're not clear, for Christ's sake, ask me. Uh, if you think it's wrong, challenge me. So yeah. it's in a polite manner. Challenge me because if you don't, you're no better than that guy on the bike putting the fag in the mouth. Is it important to you that, that the players are comfortable enough to be able to challenge you in, in well, ways that they – Yeah. The most important thing a coach can do is develop a safe learning environment. So safe not just for physical safety yeah. but for psychological safety. So it's no problem to uh, fail if I'm asking you to do something for the very first time. Why would you expect to nail that on day one? A lot of coaches expect it and a lot of athletes try to do it and they get frustrated when they can't. Yeah. A great example would be the Black Ferns last year. I said, look, I'm going to teach you some skills and when you actually finally get them, I'm then going to make them so hard you'll fail and then you've got to keep working hard and eventually you will achieve that goal of, of uh, completing that skill. When you do that, I'm going to stress, stress and stretch you more. So I just keep increasing the level of expertise. Yeah. So if you worry about failure, it's going to inhibit you. Yeah. All I ask of you is to give me 100% effort and give it a crack. Now, and on day one, it's the first time you've done this skill, think back to the first day you saw a computer and you were taught how to use a computer on day one. Did you nail it day one? They said, oh, shit, no. And what would make you expect to do this intricate skill I'm trying to teach you? So once you've got that safety, it's okay to fail, which is completely opposite to how I was coached. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's okay to fail because I'm asking something bloody tough here. Yeah. And give it a crack and don't get frustrated and we'll keep doing it over a period of maybe two weeks. You will know it. I guarantee you, you'll know what it's doing. Is it? Because I, I 100% agree with you in that. And I think that's super important for, for our coaches to understand is that when we're dropping them and we talk, talk about it a lot in our foundation courses, we, we expose them to a thing called the learning pit by James Nottingham mm-hmm. where we feel as coaches that they can achieve something a little bit more. But when you learn the skill, you generally there's going to be, or when you're learning something new, there's going to be a decline in performance. Correct. But there's going to be a, and they're going to end up finishing at a better place from where they where they were at. So I think that's really important. Is from when you first started out coaching to where you are today, has that always been something that you've done, or is that something that you've learned along the way? No, no. I would say looking back when I first started, I'd be a little bit more authoritarian. Yeah. Oh. What softened you up? Um, I think once you start, once I started dealing with some really good athletes who were bold enough to be honest with me, I, I mean brutally honest, yeah, like the Andrew Halls of the spirit or the Woodcocks, who, yeah, who were just saying, hey, you know, bang, bang, bang. Um, and I learned a lot of them, a hell of a lot of them. And then one day Andrew Hall said to me, geez, you've changed a lot since you're first in here. I said, I don't think I have. He said, no. 
Oh, I crossed your head. We've done it. It's a <laughs> so you don't realise even then that that you have changed. Yeah. Um, I I think I'm coaching as well as Lurkin, and I'm still coaching a lot uh, out there uh, in the community at the moment. And I think I'm coaching as well as Lurkin because I can see things so clearly that it really is clear. Yeah. And it's clear about how you get a safe learning environment in a very short period of time. And it's comfortable for the players to have a crack and um, enjoy what they're doing. Because remember, learning's motivation, motivation's enjoyment. Yeah. So if someone's learning, they get motivated. And if they're motivated, they're enjoying it. So when people say, I want fun at training, well, teach them, get them, coach them. Um, get them to learn, because that's fun. And too many coaches, I was doing a session over the top, one of our top coaches, and he was off to go and coach an outfit. Yeah. And I said, oh, yeah, you've got your plan done, you've got the plan. I said, I've got one question for you, because I've met with this coach. Twice. I said, are you going to train them or are you going to coach them? And there's a big difference. Yeah. Can you explain to the what sure. you mean? Yeah. I'd say in my younger day, I was trained by the coaches, you know, when I was a player. Right in there, lying out there, wherever that wherever kicked off. No feedback, no video, no upskilling, no learning. Okay, there's a place for that. Yeah. But for me, I think a coach is far better off thinking, how am I going to coach this? Um, because training them is you, I'll give an example. Say there's 12 teams in our competition, and at 7 p.m. on Tuesday night, every team in that competition is doing the same drill. Yeah. What makes the top team the top team? What makes the worst team the worst team at that drill? I'm imagining the top team, the, the coach is probably challenging them and probing them. And then the bottom team, the coach is just letting them go through the drill for what the drill is supposed to look like instructionally, not what are the skills that are Correct. rooted in. Yeah. Yeah. So, for instance, the coach says, get in the pairs and here's a hip pad. So I hold a hip pad, Ricky, and your job is to come and punch rat and drive me back three steps. And you've got to do that five times. And then I give you the hip pad and I do it to you. Yeah. The team down the road, they hit, you hit me five times. I give you the hit pad. I hit you five times. Coach plays his whistle. He's happy. He's ticked his box. We're onto another drill. The top team, or how I would coach it, is once you've given the players the knowledge of the skill within the drill. Yeah. I'm holding a hit pad. You come in and you hit me, and I'd go right front leg drive. You go back. You come in. You hit me again. I go. You punch rat. Was wasn't together, your arms weren't together, it was one, then a second later the other one came through. Oh, shit, thanks. You go back, great punch wrap, great front leg drive. That there, you've made that sound super simple, hmm. but that's the art of coaching, right? Like that, being able to stand back and watch the skill unfold within the drill is super important. And I think that from my, where I sit and my role within Canterbury Rugby as a coach educator, when I'm out observing coaches, 
that is the part that probably grates me the most is that there's those missed opportunities of coaching or creating that or helping your players get better because and I'm and I'm wondering and this is probably where I'm curious at the moment how much of those um that saying is like if you do 10,000 hours you're just going to become an expert and get better at it but it's not that that Anders Ericsson model but that's purposeful practice and I, I'm myself probably lean towards more of kind of what Stephen Kotler talks about um, with his research around getting into flow around purposeful dynamic play is where learning, where actual learning's happening. And within that space, actually being able to identify what are our key skills or our key focuses we need to get out of it. And so when I'm debriefing with a coach, I generally ask them, well, what were your key focuses in that drill? Hmm. and then they'll spout them off to me. And like you said, it could be around making sure that they've got their foot placement in nice and close in their, their arm wrap. But then probably, I wouldn't say nine times out of ten, but more likely than not, they're fixing other things within how the drill looks or how hmm. it's supposed to look or the, the stuff that they're not actually supposed to be working on. They're, they're fixing that stuff. I'm like, that's your missed opportunity of coaching there, right? Like your goal, you got twenty-eight players in your squad. Your goal is to have twenty-nine coaches on the field. You and twenty-eight others. Yeah. Get them to be a coach. So for them to do that, for them to be comfortable to give that feedback like I explained, it won't happen on day one. That's okay. Once you've built your safe self safe learning environment, once you've taken them through a bit of peer coaching. So they're comfortable to utter something to their buddy yeah. if it was good or bad. Now, don't use the word, oh, that was good, that was shit. What's good? So being specific with oh, your feedback. front leg drive was good. Yeah. Telling front leg drive. Because he's been working on that for three weeks, the poor bugger. Yeah. He's finally got it. Hallelujah. Tell him. Because if you want to get better, you rely on him to give you accurate feedback. Now, as a coach, I will teach you guys what are the skills within the drill so you've got good knowledge, then I'd expect you, whatever we do, whether it's catch pass, whether it's 1v1 tackle, I'd expect you to be able to give some form of feedback when required. You know, geez, that's a great, great punch rate, great hit. Real good power through the hit. Wonderful. Or you hit and the power came off. I don't know what the hell happened. Oh, thanks, I'll give it another go. That's coach. Yeah. So we all get the same amount of time, 90 minutes. Yeah. So what do you get your best bang for your buck from? Two things. One is having, well, skill within the drill, and you get you get peer coaching. Yeah. And the ability to have a five-star moment of training. Five-star means the ability to show them some form of visual feedback. Now, yeah. it could be an iPhone. Yeah, yeah. It could be an iPad. It could be a proper camera like out here at the Crusaders or whatever set up. Depends on what you got. But if you can show an athlete or your athlete some form of visual feedback on the training field, it's five star. If you show it to Mark or shower after training, it's three star. If you show it from tomorrow morning, it's one star. So I was out doing a session last year at some beads pre season and uh, doing, I was doing the breakdown. Yep. 
What I, I've never coached them before. 16, 17, 18 year old boys, all boys. Uh, so I said them get in groups of three, which they did. They know their age group. One of you has run back to your bloody changing shed and get a cell phone, your cell phone. And then I took them through all the little, uh, uh, demonstrate a skill within the drill. So I'd start off with accelerate through contact. So just the acceleration. I'll demonstrate this drill, the third person will video. You rotate, rotate, then you look at it and coach each other. And then we go into with shoulder. Then we go into fight to stay up. Then we go into placement. Then we go into clean out. And we did that the whole way through. Now, this is pre-season. Yeah. I haven't got a game on Saturday. But the hardest job I had was keeping other coaches away to try and go and fix it. So I'd say to the boys, you go out there and coach each other. And if you don't know what you're looking at or you're battling, just put your hand up and I'll come over. Otherwise, I won't come near you. Yeah. So what it made them do, it made them look into a clip. Most players have not been educated on what to look at in a clip. So eventually, after only a bloody matter of five minutes, they would look at their little iPhone and they straight away identify the skill within the drill. So that's, I think that's super powerful because um, obviously now you've just given the players a voice and responsibility. Um, now they're going to be, obviously, the fact that they're going to be kind of left to their own devices, it's up to them to drive their own learning and, and understanding and all that type of stuff, which I think is wicked. The part there that you said around your hardest part of, of that drill was keeping the coaches away. That there in lies a little bit of a trepidation for a lot of coaches, right? So they're probably like, well, actually, no, I'm supposed to be the bearer of all knowledge and have the keys to the kingdom. But you're quite happy to relinquish all that power and just kind of come in where needed and just add your expertise. Yep. Where did that sense of confidence come from within you? And we, how, how can coaches get better at that? Well, the players have a safety net, and that's you. Yeah. So you've told them, if you're in trouble, put your hand up. I'm more than happy to come and help. But I'd like you to go through the process of trying to find your way. So what you do is you get deep learning. So I come over and I go, put your arm there, put your foot there, done, there you're fixed. But he doesn't know how to repeat that next week. Yeah. Wouldn't have a clue. He's appeased me and he's done what I've told him to do. So I shut up, so it must must be okay. But can he do that again next week? And more important, I, how I coach players is, if you had to go down and coach a first 15 tomorrow on the skill of the breakdown, would you be confident enough to run it? Now, that's the test. Yeah. And most of them will say at the end of my session, yes, I think I could take a school team to, uh, on the breakdown. Because you've allowed them learning time. Too many coaches, they write down their, um, you know, three minutes here, two minutes here, one minute there, and there's 30 minutes for whatever. Yeah. Okay. And off they go. And I was the same. I still do it. But what I do is I, I used to get really frustrated that I never really nailed what I needed to get nailed in enough time. And I kept asking for more time. And I kept getting told, well, you've got to use your time wiser. 
tail. What I worked out was, sure, write my little list. Circle the two that must be nailed at all costs out of the six things I've got down there. Yeah. Don't look at your watch again. I tell McGill, the trainer, come and tell me when I've got two minutes left in my session. I'm doing breakdown. Tell me when I've got two minutes left. And I hope not to look at my watch until that stage at, at all. I coach differently. Too many coaches are governed by this drill is two minutes. Two minutes comes up, you blow your whistle, and you move on to the next drill because your cones are set up, we're off. Yeah. My question is, you've got to be a bit more flexible. You've got to be prepared to wipe one or two of those drills that you've got that you want to achieve to nail the critical ones. Yeah. These players need a wee bit more time on this. They need more learning time. Now, when you draw your little sheet up and say three minutes here, two minutes here, coaches do not put in learning time. They put in drill time. My question is, how do you how do you get deep learning? How do you get retention? It might well be, I need a wee bit longer on this. Well, Chrono, can I have a look at that on the iPad? Of course you can. Chrono, can I do one more of that? Of course you can. Not. We haven't got enough time. We'll do it next Thursday. So if I was to come and observe you, Coach, yeah. and you had an eight-minute block, and just hearing what you've just said there, six minutes of that is going, what is this six minutes going to look like? Because you've already said, or is that last is that last two minutes where you wrap everything up and get them moving on? Yeah, so when if I've got a, say, a line-out session, the All Blacks will be 25 minutes. Yeah. I'd have a plan. I'd go and see the leader of the line-out, Kieran uh, Reid, and say, Rito, this is the, the 25 minutes. This is what I've got down today. What do you think? I'd always check with the leader. Yeah. 99 times 100, that's great. One other time he might say, I think because we're playing South Africa, yeah. I think we need to do such and such skill. Great idea. We'll do that. Whatever they suggested, it'll be done. Yeah. So that's our relationship. And then off I go. And I know roughly how it's going to look. I got a little bit of paper to bring me back if I need it. And I tell the trainer, tell me we've got two minutes to go. So one is I don't go overtime. Yeah. And two is I finish the session correctly. Now, what does that look like? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a bit of science that says that human beings learn, uh, they remember things at the beginning and at the end of something uh, and not so much in the middle. Yeah. Now, if that's true, my line-out session, the beginning would be, boys, we've got 25 minutes of line-outs. The middle would be, I take them through their primers, and then we go into this and a bit of mauling, and that's the middle part. Now, the end part, science tells us, apparently, people remember that, the end part. Most of us go, uh, yeah, good boys, go and join the backs. So we missed their opportunity for retention, for retaining knowledge, for checking on them. That's that deep learning that you're talking about. Deep learning. Yep. So every session I run, so if I'm doing one day at the All Blacks, I do lineouts, scrums, breakdown. Yeah. After every component, we come into a team huddle and we huddle up. Two reasons. One is we get physical connection. The other is we get visual connection. Then I say in the middle of the circle, there's a learning pot. I've lifted the lid off the pot. 
build a potter. We've just done our line-out session, any skill drill, any part of the skill, any word, any activity, any key learnings, let's go. So they fill the pot. Yeah. This takes 30 seconds. If they forget some activity we've done, I'll steer them. Oh, we did one with some coloured cones. Oh, that was that's it. Correct. That's in the pot. Now, once we've filled the pot, lids on, go and get your scrum boots on, not to do scrums now. So then straight immediately I rate myself out of 10. How well did I coach that line out session? One shit, 10's outstanding. Yeah. And I rate out of 10 how much did the players learn? One shit, 10's outstanding. Now, if I rated myself 9 out of 10 for how I coached it and 2 out of 10 for how much they learned, we got a problem. I can understand how much learning because I know my players by how much they fill the pot, how they're just all over that pot filling up with the information we've just done. Then we get retention. And little Johnny, who might have missed a key point, he gets reminded of them. So when we turn up again at the next line-up session, their retention is very, very good. So in that filling that pot up, because I think that's really important, that, that gives you, obviously, we're checking for understanding around around what we've just done. Hmm. Is it just one voice? And I'm imagining in the All Blacks environment or even in the Black Ferns environment, all, all these leaders are going to be like filling things in. But in some environments, there might only be one or two that, are, that have the confidence to... At the start, it will be. Yeah. And particularly, you know, um, you'll get some boys, you know, that they don't feel safe yet. Yeah. They don't want to say something and get embarrassed. Okay? That's okay. Have yeah. you got any, any? what's a way that they that coaches can use to that you fill up the pot for, you know, an under-17 girls team or under-18 yeah. boys team to fill up that pot if they have got some players within the environment that are like a little bit yep. shy. Sure. Leave the shy ones alone for a week or two. Let, yeah. let them see how it, how it happens. Leave them alone. And then when you think, oh, they're just about right now to have their little say, you know, there's nothing stopping you. Like when you say, right, um, uh, in our wee huddle and you go to Billy and they Billy, that that bloody thing you just did there was really good. That skill, yeah, you've really improved. Your thanks, coach. I've been working on. When we're in our wee huddle now, is it okay? Are you okay just to mention that 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 was one of our skills that we did today? Are, are you comfortable with that? Yeah, coach. Yeah, he may look down and he might whisper. Not a problem. You don't have to tell him to speak up or look up or anything like that. Just let him do his business. He'll whisper some of these boys and they look down. Yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. I say, yeah, I got it, Billy. I hear you. And I can then relay what Billy said. Within a week or two, Billy will be standing there looking you in the face and he's putting in a sixpence worth in the pot because it's safe. And what I like about that is that you've you've queued them up, you've in a in a really you've queued up what they had to say essentially, but in a really positive and enlightening way. Like you've told them, hey. I've noticed that you've been doing this part. Oh, thanks, coach. I've I've been working on it. And then you follow that up by like, yeah, I've noticed it. That's why I can't mention it. Would you be comfortable to mention it into the group? I yeah, I think so. And then all of a sudden you've just empowered that player and given that player their voice. I think that's a tremendous way to 
to do that type of stuff. One um, way that I, uh, Tony Christie, mm-hmm. gets his players to like turn and talk around that same stuff, and I think that there's a cool way because then they don't have to share what they've said. Because generally, most people are okay with sharing other people's answers, just in case. So, well, they said it, mm-hmm. and I. Th- but what I and I use that part quite a lot. But what I really like about your part is just the fact that you've empowered them in like three different ways around. You've noticed them and what their progression, and then you've just given them the power to talk. So I think that's that's really cool. Where where do you see? Uh, where do you see coaches? Because um, what I think you do really awesome, I'll try. I probably try and explain this question more. What I think that you do really well and exceptional from all the conversations that I've had with other coaches that that have been blessed to know you is around your innovation in the professional development space and how you've applied it. Where do you think coaches? are missing out at the moment through the innovation of the games or where could could they innovate? Um, I I personally think that the first coach or coaches that really get their heads around how to coach our athletes to stay balanced with movement, the better off they'll all be. Example, I was on a little Zoom the other day about the tackle height for rural rugby. Yeah. Now, we can come up with a, a rule worldwide, sternum down. That's a rule. My question to them was, that's great, but we have to offer every coach in the world two or three skill drills that, are, that teach our players from day dot all the way through about how to move and stay centered and about how to stay balanced. Because that is the key. Generally, when you poke your head in front of a knee and a tackle, you haven't got yourself in a good position. Yeah. Generally, if you plant and lunge and throw your arm and head out to make a tackle uh, and get hit in the head with a knee or a hip, it's because you haven't been in the correct position. Now, we've got to peel the onion back a bit. So the, the peeling the onion back a bit is, running into position, running into that contact point. We coach the last step, stand there and step in, same leg, same shoulder, punch wrap, drive back, perfect. We don't teach where we come from. We're back eight metres, yeah. six metres. There might be two or three players up that we're looking at, and then we come up and we have to adjust our movement, and then we've got to go in, get our front leg in, get our punch wrap in. Peel the onion back, get that part right. If you can get your players, I think, to all be really good at adjusting to movement, I think that that's the next real big step forward, I reckon. Well, my head's just churning now, just thinking of, like, I was watching, I've been watching a couple of training sessions and defensive stuff, and, and 100%, I will always will either be on our knees and practice our reps and making sure that our head gets in close. Even when we deliver small blacks and rugby smart courses, we talk about, like you said, that kind of that that last step into the pre mm. before we make the the tackle. Yep. And so would you would you suggest that 
if we can start bringing in more long-range, multi-directional, invasion-style games and training that, there would be safer tackle, would be closer to getting to a safer tackle position than we were at now. Yeah, so we need to come up with, and I've asked McGill, I've asked a few others, to come up with some rules that we can pass on, like through rugby smart or whatever. And a coach, no matter what grade they can do, is part of your warm-up, these are two or three skill drills we're going to do, which helps you stay seated with movement. So that gives us a far better chance to adjust to movement. The other thing that a lot of coaches coach, which is fraught with danger, yeah. uh, red, red scrum caps mine. Now, okay, that's fine. Yeah. That area that the red scrum, scrum cap Standing in his mind. Yeah. Not the player. So zones rather than people. Yeah. You, yeah. Because you, you, that guy then moves. So what I'm saying is, there's a great saying in top sport in soccer. I picked this up in one of my ventures. On defense, never get caught staring. Great line. Yeah. You look, but don't stare. Now, we coach at players to stare. Then they don't see the winger coming on the outside shoulder. We don't see all this other stuff because we're staring. We've taught our players to stare. It's okay, point, red helmet's mine. But look, look around the red player. The yeah. Red cap. It's, a, it's interesting that you say around like looking, but don't stare. So, um, and how you brought up football. We recently, or last year, I talked to a guy called Leonard Zakowski from uh, Boston University and he, he wrote a book called The Playmaker's Advantage and he around decision-making. He said to me this book called Scanning Around Football and he said the biggest or the best playmakers are the ones that can that look at the field and don't look at the ball. Yep. And so you, you watch all the top quality. Like Lionel Messi won't be looking where the ball is because he knows where the ball – he's looking for where is my, where's my advantage, where's my opportunity because he knows that the ball is going to – be where the ball's going to be. He just needs to find the space that he needs to get to and pull for it. What you're saying there in that defensive stuff is is the same thing. Is I need to be scanning of like where, what is, who's queuing up? Like his red scrum cap, is he going to be shifting his feet to be going, getting on the outside of me or is he actually shaping up to catch and pass and release the ball out, out front? Both of those things are going to require different skill sets mm-hmm. in regards to how I'm going to tackle. Like am I going to, have to get off the line really fast to catch him in the ball at the same time if he goes to catch and pass, or am I going to have to try and get up on into his eye line to try and push it back into the push him back in closer to mm-hmm. the ruck? And so that's scanning ability instead of kind of calling out that red red scrum hat player. How would you coach that ability, or what would you do when it came, if you're running a session and you're like? I need you to see the whole whole picture. I need you to take I a step no back. Problem. I have no problem with pointing and saying red scrum caps mine. Yeah. So long as the players understand that zone in that area is mine. I'm scanning that area. Yeah. And then it comes into that area is mine. Yeah. You know, and get them to understand and look but don't see. Um, Ramsey Hennon, who used to be the Crusaders mental skills guy. Yeah. I asked Ramsey about this one day because. I was with a side coach at Tom, 
look but don't steer. Yeah. You never get caught steering on the fence and so on. So I said to Reen, said, what do you do for martial arts? Because he's judo and karate. Yeah. He said, I take him down to the park, new, new um, martial arts people. I get him to look at a tree and I say, what do you see there? And I go, oh, well, this trunk and his branches and his leaves. Correct. Now, I'd like you to look at, look at the, the tree and look at the space in between the branches. Just open your eyes, get your scanning going, get your peripheral vision, just look at the whole tree and see the space in between the branches. When they finally train them to do that, he says, now look at the space between the leaves. So they're learning to look at this whole tree and see all the space within that tree. Jeez. Now, that's scanning. Yeah. <laughs> what do we do? Look at that leaf. <laughs> yeah. We coach them. Look at that one leaf over there. Yeah. So, again, martial arts, because you don't want to get caught staring. You've got to see what's happening around you. So I think anything to do with peripheral vision, anything to do with staying strong with movement, balanced with movement, is wonderful. Is that so? That's that's a wicked analogy around for our players to get good at scanning in in, in that scenario. What about coaches when they get kind of <coughs> they're watching? A game? Yep. So when when a coach is watching a game, yep. is it the same principle? Like we 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 start playing the game. Yeah, young coaches. When they finish playing rugby and go coaching, are you still smell learning? I tell them. You're still playing the game. Yeah. You've got to learn to stop smelling learning. You're a coach. So, and it gets pretty tough. Um, you're sitting in an all black box and there's a bit of pressure there, you know, and all of a sudden you must be in control. Your team requires you to scan and look at the important things that, that's happening. You're not a player. Don't play the game. Don't jump out of your seat for every bloody penalty you get given, you know? It's, yeah. You're there to help them. There might be one thing that you see that you can get a message out of them. Um, so it's really important that you remain uh, a wee bit away from the game. It's hard, yeah. bloody hard. So for me, I my default would be I I would just like kick a stone. Yeah. I'd pretend to kick the floor and kick a stone. Yeah. Now come back into the here and the now. I'd write a couple of notes on my iPad. Now let's get yourself bloody sorted here. Yeah, a little mouse on the wheel. Yeah. Don't do that. So we all do it. But just be mindful of it. And I used to do like even in training sometimes when you feel like you're out of control. You're talking too much. You're seeing nothing. Any coach listening to this will know what I mean. You're looking, yeah. but you're seeing bloody nothing at training. What the hell? It's because, you know, you're just not in the right space to coach. So for me, so doing a line-out session, I said, right, oh, boys, that's great. Um, and you all just stick together, walk quietly to the halfway line, have a debrief up there by yourselves. Yeah. About what we're trying to learn here. And when you're ready, just jog on back and we'll carry on. Now, one is they think that's great, and we do get something, some value out of that. The second thing is I take control of myself. What's going on here? 
get your bloody head back in the gun. Now, what's the first thing I'm going to do when they come back? What am I looking at? Yeah. Now, lineouts is a great thing. I learned, sure, it's been filmed. But I have my own iPad, and I, 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 I got to just look from the hips down because I'm after process over outcome. So it's the movement of the feet. It's the movement of the jump. Jump fast, not high. Jump first, lift second. Last third, the lift most explosive. I just feel that. So I know what I'm looking at. Yeah. That's all I'm looking at. When you try and stand there and look at a whole line out, oh, great catch, great throw, there. Yeah. I've missed out on all the skill. Who's looking at the skill? Well, the players would say to me, we can run the line out, but we don't know what the skill's happening to the skill level. So what was the moment that got you to see that? Was that just your self-reflection through the stuff that you did with New, Ze- New Zealand Ballet to be like, okay, well, I need to look at this part because whatever's happening up there is going to happen. But it's obviously being the process, I need to start looking down here because that's a big mind shift. By working on what is the critical few of the line out. So when you go and do, I do a lot of lectures, a lot of Zooms, a lot of coaching for coaches overseas particularly now. Uh, the key principles of aligning, as I just said, jump fast, not high. Yeah. You know, jump first, lift second. Last third of the lift, most explosive. Yeah. Start principles, start no explosiveness. Principles. Yeah. Now, if that's the case, the players require me to keep an eye on that and make sure we're all humming. And then my other job, in the line-out is to make sure that are we as quick today as we were last week on that throw to the middle? So how you test that is you get on your computer with the film and from the first movement, say when the jumper goes to turn a wee bit, from the first movement I go on that fast forward on the, on the tab on yeah. the computer and I count how many frames before his feet just leave the room. Now it might be 25. Yeah. Then I count how many frames from when his feet just leaves the ground and just touches the ball. Another 25. That's 15. Okay. So then I'd go to the athlete and say, look, you were 25 from the first minute to you just left the ground, and you're 25 from leaving the ground and touch the ball. My question is, is that as fast as we can go? That's all. And he'll go, oh, shit. I can delay my turn, and when I do go, I go quicker. Okay. What else? Well, when I was up there, I was actually waiting for the ball to arrive. Okay. So, Hooker, did you hear that? He's waiting for the ball to arrive. So you've got two choices, son. Throw it faster or, or, th- or change the time when you release it. Okay? You've got to throw it earlier or faster. Your choice. Let's do it again. All of a sudden, you'll take off 10, 15 frames. Bang. Yeah. Now we're operating because it's a running away slide out. So we say go, we have an advantage, we must maintain the advantage. So that's how you, that's your goal to make sure that, and when I know that we can do that in 35 frames that throw, next week when we do it, I'll go, shit, that looked even faster. I can then check on the computer or the film. Yeah. We're down to 30. Boys, we're down to 30. Fucking hallelujah. <laughs> or we're back to 50. So yep. they require me to do that rather than, oh, that's a good throw because we caught it. 
that's I think that there is wicked insight into just, just something so simple. <laughs> and <laughs> you right because it is it is it's super simple because we can and generally if we trust ourselves and like you said like hey that looks faster our intuition will probably say that's going to be faster and then we check it it's like yeah it's faster and then like you said if we can go through the process of why it was faster so like you just talked about the hook is either throwing the ball faster or he's releasing the ball sooner the, the locks is delayed their turn or whatever it is and they're just getting off the ground a little bit faster our lifters are getting way more explosive than that last third of the of the lift and so everything's broken down and we can see that visually we don't have to have an ipad to see it but that just qualifies what our what we've observed and i think that's um yes hopefully our coaches are like now they're starting to think the way that i'm thinking hopefully they're thinking well not they're thinking their own thoughts but in the way of like what do we actually doing there on the grass that's having an impact to help our players be better because just being there and saying great throw good catch brilliant line out is could actually be detrimental from what i'm hearing because they could everything could be slower and it's like well if it's a slow lift a slow jump and a slow throw well, okay well they've obviously going to have time to catch it i'll give you a true a true uh, thing that happened i went to watch the blues train one day uh, when I was the All Black Ford coach. And the team were over here learning new lineouts for the week. Yeah. I was watching them. And the rest of their forwards were over there doing the opposition lineouts, getting them ready to do opposition lineouts. And then they, and I watched it. And they, they was, everything was going good. The Blues got all their throw. Everything's going good. And I'm watching. And then they joined forces and put opposition in. Yeah. So the opposition team came in. And competed. Well, it turned shit. Hooker was overthrown uh, all the time. Uh, all the timing was out, I think. So eventually they stopped, and the coach said, Connor, again, when you're coaching something and you're running a, a session, I reckon you see 30% of what's going on. A guy leaning on a fence having a cup of coffee observing will see a hell of a lot more. Yeah. Because you're not coaching them. So I was that guy leaning on a fence with a coffee. What did you see? I said, what I saw was when the Blues were learning their new lineups, we lifted, jumped at a certain speed. Yeah. As soon as the opposition turned up or went live, everything got amped up. Everything went up 30% more speed. So the poor old hooker, he's been used to throwing a certain speed of lift and jump. And all of a sudden, because we've become competitive, we we up the ante and we're into it. We're into game mode. So why the hell would you not throw in game mode every time? Because you're killing your hooker. Don't do it. So if you do proper primer draws before a test match, you do the same proper problems before training. Yeah. I need you to jump and lift the same as we are in the testing. So that's kind of almost around same as like when we do team runs, right? Like we're running up against shadows or maybe a skeleton defensive line. But then come Saturday, 
like everything's lift up and you're just like scratching your head and pulling your hair out and you're like, we've just been practicing this and this looked great at training. It's like, yeah, no wonder it looked great at training because you had way more time and space. You had, you know, 30% less defense defenders on you and nothing was really live it was all kind of makeshift and trying to replicate but nothing replicates that so if you're looking at attack at training even yeah i'm a great believer in getting other coaches or injured players to help out so for example uh, you're the defense coach yeah and you're running a defensive session you might say and it's live like opposition you might say chrono can you please stand on the sideline and walk along in line with it and when you see that we're cribbing offside, just put your hand up for me. So you can see, you you don't even have to look at it. You're running the session. You know that's catered for. Then you get another coach or another smart player who's injured. I need you to stand over and behind the attack line. I'm only looking at my rocket action, the first two. Yeah. And make sure they're doing their role right. Okay? If action's starting to drift off, you know, all I need you to do is put your hand up. So here you are running the session, and all of a sudden you start seeing me putting my hand up a lot. You can blow the whistle, call them and say, boys, you're bloody cribbing. Take a meter. Wait we go. Yeah. So you use this information rather than let's look at the footage after training. So that almost goes back to your five-star Correct. part. Albeit we're not doing it with the camera. camera. Doing we're doing it with people and, and someone that's... Correct. In a line-out, you might have an injured player who's in the slim. Stand at the back of the line-out and make sure on our ball we're not breaking the pane of glass when we jump. Yeah. We are just putting your hand up. So as a coach, I don't have to look at that. I don't have to think about it. I, I know parts of the skills I need to be taken care of, but I've got people to do it. So you utilise the brains around you. Don't think you, it's my line-out session, I'm going to run the whole line-out. Well, it's a scrum session, I'm running the whole scrum. Sure, you're the boss, but I'd get another coach. Can you please just watch the two looks from behind, please? Yeah. I'm, I'm up the front end, I'm up the sharp end. You give me feedback. Don't talk to the players. Feed it back through the guy who's running the session. Yeah. And the players don't get mixed messages. I, I think that's really, um, that part's really important because. You've, you've probably seen it. I see it all the time. It's like, all right, we're going to head into attack and the attack coach takes everything and then the head coach and the defense coach will go step back and they'll just watch the attack go. And then you just see them. They're just like, it's got things flying at him everywhere and then he's just, they, they're getting lost. Yep. And that define, giving people roles and giving them the opportunity to be like, hey, look, like, can you make sure that you're, like you said, looking after the on sideline for me, can you make sure that whoever's supposed to be at our rock yeah. is there and that our man that's covering the space is covering the space so that if the redhead gear guy mm-hmm. is getting the ball and he's getting dynamic, like is he drifting off or is he staying in his zone and is he scanning or, or all that type of stuff. And I think that's so important for coaches to open up this space to allow their, to actually invite their coaches in to give them a role to do something. They can still sit, stand back and gas bag, but at least they're watching and being vigilant as well. What you've done is never allow mediocrity to try. Yeah. So how do we stop mediocrity? By one is your peer, you know, like I need the ball here in the pass it to me. I don't want it back there. So you get peer coaching. The other is 
is that we do have these other eyes of experts. Now, I may know not know too much about a tap, for instance, just say I don't know. Yeah. But Fozzie, who I think is the best attack coach I've ever worked with, he'd give me a role, standing behind, and just make sure that the forwards who first receiver isn't bouncing out on the pass. Now, I become an expert yeah. at that. <laughs> and making sure forwards don't jump sideways when they catch a ball because you've taken up the space of the guy outside you. And invariably, most forwards do. But once you know that, and you can hate them. You know, Brody, bounce them. Oh, shit, thanks, Connor. We nip it in the bar. There's no place to repeat poor technique. Yeah. Because we've got our little wee watchdogs around, and we start to get steady early. We start to have first step forward. We start to catch early. You know, we get our departure time right, and we are going direct at it when we catch the ball. We're not bouncing. Yeah. So that's, to me, I think it's gold. Yeah, I think that's awesome too. And so before we jump into our quick fire segment, what would be one um, bit of advice you can give coaches that do kind of have those blinkers on around their development and stuff like that? What what could you share with them? Well, knowledge is knowledge is zero. You don't have to use it. You know, you can work out what you pass on to the athlete because you're coaching different grades. How much can they take? Yeah. But I, I guarantee you they really respond to being coached, to, to being taught, to learn. So don't don't end up training them all the time. Yeah. You know, and and quite often, no matter what grade, if you've got a wee issue, ask them and generally they'll know. So what happened at training here? You know, we had a wee issue there. Instead of jumping straight in, which I used to do, and I'll fix it. I'll put Mr. Fix it head on and go, bam. Yeah. Now I go, right, what happened there, boys? And quick discussion, you know, da 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 da. Okay, well, hey, well, whose band was it? You mean my bad? Uh, great. Because you've got to a safe learning environment. They're happy to put their hand up. Okay, how do we fix that? Uh, oh, da da da. Well, let's, let's have another one, eh? You got one more in your hand? Shit, 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 shit. I feel you know, and and you've you've allowed them time to put in their six months worth because generally players will know. If you give them enough openness and say, well, it's like when I get asked to go and do sessions, I'm off to a McCall tomorrow, coaching all day. Then yeah, back tomorrow night. I don't know how I'm coaching yet. I think Southland, someone else. Yeah. Stores. Now, if they ask me to coach any part of the game, say it's line out. Yeah. First thing I'll say to the forwards is. How many games have you had this year? Oh, we had 12. What's going well in the long run? Oh, um, oh, well, we're winning a lot of ball, right? Um, the lifters have got stronger. Yeah, bloody good. We've got two good throwers. Bloody great. Anything else? Oh, our moves come pretty good. What do you think? What do you think we just could need to tidy up? I never say bad, wrong. What do you think we need to tidy up? Well, we're bloody slow when we get too teamed, or you know, when they do this and we'll close our gap, we panic and okay. 
So what I'm hearing is da da da. That's the two things we're going to work on. Yep, let's go. And off I go. Yeah, I run those two things. So ask him, they will know. And I'm talking high school. I'm talking international. Yeah, no different. They will know. They'll know. Yeah. I used to go in and say, right, listen to me. I'm going to take you through some drills here. And I'm going to, and then one day I'm driving home and I thought, I wonder if that's what they needed. So I'd done my little 45 minute session yeah. coaching some, and it was only me reflecting, driving home. I thought, I wonder if that's what that team needed me to do. Oh, how bloody done am I? Why didn't I ask? It's, um, <laughs> that'd be a frustrating car ride home. <laughs> how done are you? Yeah. And we all do it. Yeah. Uh, come and do a scrum session. Okay, come over to the machine, boys. Let's hit it. Just spend a minute or two asking what's, what's going good at scrum time. Uh, what, what, what do we need to tidy up? Straight away, they'll go, oh, the ball's getting trapped in the lock feet. Okay. okay. So straight away, you, you're going through your brain. Yep, I know the drill. I know exactly how to coach that. I'll fix that in bloody two minutes. Right, what else are we doing? Uh, we've got a good engagement, but then we're just stopping and having a cup of tea. Yeah. Taking the, so, okay, the load. We're taking the load off. Right, I, I can teach them how to load it. Okay, let's go. So now we've... Identify, they'll identify the two things that need correcting, a bit of help. I've worked out how we're going to do it. And then at the end of the session, we have a little debrief. Yeah. We fill our learning pot up. And then, did we nail that? Are we happy? Could you coach that? Yes, we can. Wonderful. All the best percentage. Yeah, catch you later. Oh, no, that's, that's awesome. Well, we'll jump into our quickfire segment. Um, you're inviting three people to dinner. Who are they and what are you cooking? Uh, I'd have Hora and Woodcock and probably Retallick. Uh cooking. Uh, I'd say be a Barbie with those three, and it'd be reasonably wet. It'd be wet. <laughs> <laughs> lots of liquid. Yeah, I could imagine with that with that crew. Um, what's one of your favourite uh, personal sporting memories? Um, being in Sarica. 2013, I think it was, uh, and we played the best game of rugby I've ever been involved in against Sarica, All Black Sarica game. I was very fortunate enough to be there and observe that game. Nigel Owens was the ref, and ended up something like 48, 32 or something. Best yeah. game of rugby I've ever seen. Uh, that's awesome. Um, who's a coach, mentor, or teacher that's had an impact on you? Yeah, uh, they all have. You know, I've learned a lot off Steve yeah. Hanson. I've learned a hell of a lot off Ian Foster. And I've learned off Smithy, you know, and, and Ted. All different things. Yeah. Some might be management. Some might be, you know, how you deal with players or problem solving. Um, I've very, and Mick Byrne, you know, I've learned a hell of all those guys. But don't underestimate, I'll tell you now, I know, um, don't underestimate Fozzie's knowledge. Yeah. You know, he's a smart operator, Ozzy. No, that's cool. I've got a zoo with him tonight, so. Well, you can tell him. <laughs> yeah, I'll be telling him that he owes you a few beers. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's one bit of advice you'd give 
a young Mike starting out on his coaching career again? Uh, yeah. If I had my Tom over again, I'd have bigger ears <laughs> when I was younger. Bigger ears means to listen a bit better <laughs> and stop telling so much. Yeah. So, uh, as I said, ask, ask them, more questions. Uh, yeah. Well, ask them what, what they're feeling. Yeah. He's working on bigger ears, listen to them. Quite often, they will know if there's a problem. They might be whispering it to their mate. They've sorted it out. Yeah. And we're still battling away there, thinking we're the only ones that know. Yeah. Oh, I remember when I used to be on water duties and you're running the waters out and then all of a sudden you're getting the comms in and they're like, tell them that they need to fix up this. And then you like go in and they're like already talking about it. And it's just like, did you say it? And it's like, oh, I didn't really have to. They already said it. No. So that, that was a big change. Yeah. We got to that stage where Hanson would say, what are they talking about? And they go, no, no, we don't have to say that. Yeah. Because they've already got it. Same at half time, how I run half times. You know, I go in. Once I've had three minute rest, we start, and I'll go around the leader. Right, well, let's start with Abel Lawyer. And I've got my notes. Yeah. But they cover it up. I don't say a word. Okay. Opposition lawyer. Scrum. And I don't know cover it. And I say, I've only got one thing to add. I just think we're a fraction slow bouncing off the ground and getting their ass for the first five minutes. That's what I'm saying. Am I right or am I wrong? No, no, you're right for a Okay, let's fix that up. Yeah. End of story. Instead of, now listen to me, I'm going to tell you what I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like how I review now. I review completely different now to how I did 20 years ago. I used to stand up there and show my 15 clips. Now I sit around in a half shoe circle. Right, let's look at our, let's talk about our lineup and together. If they cover it, I delete it. Delete, 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 delete. Yeah. If they don't cover it, I go, yep, I've just got one clip to show you on the lineup. I need to cover off on you. So I don't show the other six of the lineups because I've covered it. Then scrum. So out of my 15 clips, when I was, Running, I was doing breakdown, lineout, scrum, and kickoff. Uh, I might have 130 clips from the test match. Yes. I then whittle it down into different areas. And then what I show the boys might end up 10 or 5. Yeah. But they've covered it. You know, I'd whittle it all the way down. The, you know, the bug of the real critical few that meant something. Yeah. That's an art, though. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, this one might be a tricky question, but what would your go-to activity or drill be if you were to do a session tonight? If you had to. Huh? Activity or drill? Yeah. Uh, You're heading back to high school, old boys. One last, one last job. What would you be doing? I'd finish with something I was given when I was in New Zealand cult way back. <laughs> and I get them into a chariot race in the train. So you get into groups of uh, say six. Yeah. Three in the front row, two locks, and and the jockey's up on top. He's got to lean over the props. And you might have three groups. Yeah. You have a cone 40 metres out, cone in front of you. When I blow the whistle, you got to sprint out to the cone, change your jockey, come back, change your jockey, come back, change your jockey. That's it. 
If, some, if a jockey falls off, stop, throw the jockey back on. And a lot of fun. And sure, front row's running upright and the yeah. locks are way high, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's all about, at the end of it, you'll have a team that win by quite a bit. And then you bring them in and say, right, half a bit of fun, which it is, why did this team here win so well compared to that team over there? What do you reckon I'll say? So I'm imagining something around teamwork. We have better teamwork. Yeah, but what does that look like? Oh, geez, now I'm going deep here. Um, that the that everybody was connected. The so front rows were connected quite nice and tightly. Locks were hooked in mm. well, and then the jockey was on top, helping out how best what he could up there. Mm-hmm. Team that wins is that they just get into the cone and someone will go, I'm up, I'm next. Yeah. And we turn and, and we just form a get in there and do it, and the jockey's up and we're off. The team that gets last, they discuss it, war and peace. <laughs> now, I'm, I'll go prop, you go hooker, you go lock. Who was up last time? And they're losing all their time. Yeah. Because they're not adjusting and adapting on the run. So, for me, that's the smart team that adjusts and adapts on the hop. Someone makes a call and we just do it. That's awesome. But it's right, wrong. Yeah. They're the team that win. Yeah. So that's cool. Oh, I might have to bring that one into the next next session there. I do. I can imagine that. That would actually be quite a hoot to see these boys. If you've got more numbers, you can actually have a front row two locks, number eight, and a jockey. Yeah. So depending on your numbers, or just front row two locks, jockey. Yeah. I oh, know that's epic. And what does being a coach mean to you? A privilege. Uh, no matter how long a player's playing, you know, might have been playing for one year, he might play till he's 40, you know, it doesn't matter. He he deserves he deserves your utmost bloody uh, help. Yeah. Now, so our task is to keep upskilling ourselves keep passing on information to the athlete. And always remember, the best compliment I think I've ever had is when someone says, geez, you coach simple. Now, some people get offended by that word, but I certainly do not. What it means is you've got to know your subject bloody well to coach simple. When you listen to a coach and he's pulling rabbits out of his ass all the time and you've got no idea what he's talking about, he doesn't know his subject well enough. Yeah. Generally. So you know your subject really well, you can pass that knowledge on simply. That's understanding. It's coaching. And that's a wicked, wicked way to finish this pod. Mike, I can't thank you enough for being so generous with your time. No um, it's been a wicked conversation, and I'm sure our coaches are going to love this chat that we've just had. That was – I can't even explain – the conversation that we've just had with Chrono, it was absolutely outstanding. I really loved how he did, how he ended it around making it, learning your learning your craft or knowing what you're doing as a coach and then making it as simple as possible uh, for the betterment of, of who you're coaching. And I think throughout this whole conversation, what it highlighted to me was around 
skill acquisition and understanding what skill you're trying to get out of it. And so although it started off as a conversation around exploring as a coach, being able to explore different avenues or different places where you could find things and you could bring it back to the sport. What it really was, or what this conversation really was that I felt was that it was a conversation around me as a coach or the privilege of being a coach is I need to do everything that I possibly can to help my athletes. And so I need to make sure that no stone is left unturned. And Chrono mentioned around what he picked up from the sumo wrestlers around how they how they launched off by digging their toes into the ground. And so he brought that into scrummaging and then the around the lifting within the lineouts and, and the ballet and all these different different disciplines of sports or or whatever they are and but he's went in with a blank page and a set of fresh eyes and he's not essentially searching for something but something may pop up and 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 reveal itself and it might be a little bit of an aha moment and I might take that from from here and it could work in here and so he even mentioned around the stuff around the football around uh around you can look but you don't see but also not even in football and he talked around even in martial arts having a look at a tree and then trying to look between the branches and then looking between the leaves this was just such a a very rich conversation around the art of coaching and and the reasons why it is such an art and why it is such a privilege as well that we we become coaches and throughout that whole again throughout the whole conversation like it was supposed to be around professional development but it just became around just being the best possible coach you can be for the players that you have the privilege of coaching and so um yeah I just loved it I could have carried on listening to him for another 30 minutes to another extra hour and a half it was it was just so so wicked so um, if you love this conversation, please um, give us your feedback, give us a rating wherever you listen to. If it's on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please please give it a rating there. If you think some of your coaches might enjoy or some of your friends that are coaches might enjoy this podcast, please share it on to them because, yeah, the more and more um, people we get sharing it um, and enjoying it, the more and more incredible guests we can kind of get on and and keep keep helping out our coaching communities